Well, welcome, folks. Thank you for tuning in with us today and being a part of this ongoing conversation. I hope you know that uh, whenever we know that you're out there listening, uh, uh, we're just really grateful that you've taken out time of your own t day uh, to, to join us. It, it's just really uh, uh, an encouraging thing for us to have that, uh, this relationship that we're having with you, even though it's uh, through this medium. If you were with us last week, you know that uh, we started a new series called Who is Jesus? Uh, last week was an introduction, and really what we're hoping to accomplish starting last week, uh, today, and in the coming weeks is for all of us to just know Him in a more deeper way than we did before we started this. Now, that's not the power of my words by any means, but it most certainly is the power of God and the Holy Spirit that lives inside of all believers. And I thought maybe a great way for us to get to know Him in a much greater way is to really analyze uh, over the next few weeks the seven statements that Jesus made from the cross. Um, today, as you can see on your screen, and if you printed off the, uh, the notes from below, you'll see that we're going to cover the, the statement, it is finished. Um, it is finished. And here's where it came from in, in, in John chapter 19, beginning in verse number 28. The word of the Lord says this, Later, knowing all that was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus says, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, you know, last week we read about half of chapter 19, and it was really the outlining of those last few hours and time on the cross of our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. And so we're starting at the end of that, really, then, with the words, it is finished, because really it's not the end of anything. That is absolutely the beginning of everything that we cling to in faith and hope for a resurrection. It all ended on the cross, and it all started on the cross. And so to find that out, you know, I, I'll tell you, I started working on this, and it got really so much information that we need to cover that I, maybe I've, I've, I've approached a new level of long-windedness then, because what we're going to have to do is take those three words, it is finished, and divide that into two weeks. And so today I want to look at just the it, the it portion of what Jesus said that day. And so to define that in a kind of a, a nutshell, the best I could, the it is the open hostility that was waged against God our Creator by mankind. And in that hostility, it resulted a separation from Him that could absolutely never be repaired or restored on our part. And so you see, if that's the definition of it you know that we got ourselves in quite a pickle, right? And so we have to really address what the it is and how that is uh, really applied into our life and what that might look like and find out for sure if we've addressed the it in our own life. And to do so is no small feat. In fact, I think that we have to back up to the very first words of the Bible, if you would with me, if you turn to uh, Genesis chapter 1, and we'll talk about this just a little bit. 
Those first four verses of chapter 1 of Genesis, the opening statements of the Bible, say, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And I think we'll just end right there because you get the picture. And I think that most of you know these stories. Uh, many of you have, was learning them from, from childhood, the understanding that God created all things in the beginning, not before God because He is eternal, but before the foundations of the world were set. For our understanding, before the foundations of the world were set, God, who is eternal, desired a relationship with mankind. An incredible thing to even consider. If you go on and you, and you turn over to chapter 2 of Genesis, oh, excuse me, still in chapter 1, in verse number 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. God, from the foundations of the world, before they were set, desired a relationship with mankind that he was going to create. Verse 31 of that same chapter, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. God stepped back and looked at his entire creation, which included the creation of mankind, and said, this is good. But from those childhood stories and, and uh, Sunday school lessons, you know what happens in chapter 3 of Genesis, don't we? That was the time when mankind stepped away from the God-creator who created him for a relationship. And it was called the, the fall of mankind, and it was called so many times the introduction of sin. But that's not really the introduction of sin, because the sin had already been present in our lives. In fact, it is our natural desire to sin. God knew all this was going to take place, but nonetheless, he gave each and every one of us a free will. A free will to make our own decisions on certain matters because he created us for his glory and to build into us a reciprocal relationship, the ability to love him as much as he loved us. He created a people who would love him, a people who would worship him, and a people who would bring him glory. But sin was introduced into the world, or at least exposed and so what is sin? And Well, sin is the conscious choice. The conscious choice to seek something other than what God has chosen for us. Sin then, in a nutshell, besides all the things that we want to place on it, sin is nothing more, nothing less than any time that we seek anything other than God's choice. That is sin. I think it was purposeful, that God said the sin that could not happen is the, the wanting of that fruit off of the tree. Something so simple. But yet in man's way, in the way that we are, there was, we could not help ourselves. Well, God was demonstrating there that it's not the specific sin by any means. In this case, a simple piece of fruit. But what it is, is anything apart from God, that is the prize of our heart, the focus of our heart. When our free will of our lives is for our will and not Him, there's sin. They 
wanted something more than the one who had lovingly knit us together in our mother's womb. They no longer desired the Creator God as much as they desired something that was competing with their heart, something worldly, and it was sin. That's always the way it is. And it's always the truth of the matter that there is always going to be a consequence to our sin. The consequence of all sin is breaking a fellowship, that relationship with God. This cause the, is our heart, and the consequence is that relationship that has been busted with God. That's our part in the story of the it that Jesus was speaking about on the cross that day. <laughs> and like I say, if that's where the story ended, we'd be in quite a pickle, wouldn't we? Since we're still in Genesis, I want to show you something. Or I want to point out a verse that I've in chapter three, verse twenty-one. That I think that is really just of extreme importance in God's word for us to understand who God is. This was at the very beginning of creation. It was after Adam and Eve had sinned, and after everything, all the bad things had taken place, after he had done so much, after he had looked at his creation and said, this is wonderful, and right away mankind turned away from him and said, we don't want you anymore. We want our own selfish desires. There's a consequence for sin, and in this case, God was casting them out of the beautiful garden that he had created for him. But listen to see here what it says in verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. <laughs> you see how that indicates the character of God? The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife before he sent them out in order to care for them. And my goodness, we have to understand the, the width and the depth and the breadth of God's grace and his love for mankind. After we disobeyed, after we purposefully and with intent chose something else besides him, he proves that he still cares for us. I think that verse just tells the nature of God's loving and provisional grace that he wasn't then nor was he ever going to just let us go about our merry sinful ways and never ever again care for us. I tell you, I have to tell you just a real short story about <laughs> the theology that I was taught when I was growing up. I was introduced to a God who was distant at best and vengeful at worst. One who would distance himself from me whenever I didn't live up to some standard. Whenever I didn't perform in a proper way, I was taught that my God would step away from me, so I had to perform all the time or I would lose out. And so constantly I had to find out of this standard that I never ever could attain. It was wanting to do good, failing to do good, and then 
walking away myself because it was very hard to believe in a God who only loved me when I was a good guy. That's not the God that built us for a relationship, a reciprocal relationship of love because love is never one-sided. I'll tell you something those early years did teach me though is that it proved over and over and over and over and over again that I could never ever even attain being good, let alone repair or restore the chasm built between me and God by my sinful nature. You know, that's really the story of the Old Testament. God didn't leave us alone. In fact, He carved out a people of His own. (laughs) If you ever read that, it's just like my heart. They wanted to be good, and they tried their hardest, but before they knew it, they turned their back on Him, and they walked away. It was a victory that God provided, followed by the failure of mankind. Freedom that God gives, followed by the intentional self-slavery of mankind and their sin. A.W. Tozer writes a powerful statement, and he says, The Bible writes the history of human disgrace so that we may learn the value of divine grace. (laughs) Amen? The history of the Bible tells the horrible story of man's disgrace in order that we may learn the value of the grace of God and the character of love and concern he has for his people. So we have a diagnosis then so far, I believe today, of what the Bible says about mankind. It's repeated in chapter 14 of Psalms and then once again in Romans chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, where it says there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands No one who seeks God, and all have turned away. This is quite a grim diagnosis. If the story ended there, we'd be in pretty hot water. But thanks be to God, He wasn't going to leave us alone. And so there is absolutely great news. If you turn to the beginning of the Gospel of John in John chapter 1, you can find out what happened. What brought Jesus to that cross that day? In John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, in the beginning. Isn't that interesting? The scripture that we turn to at the start was Genesis chapter 1, and it says, in the beginning. And now we have the appearing of God himself in the beginning was the word that's Jesus Christ and the word was with God and the word was God he was God he was with God in the beginning through him all things were made without him nothing was made that has been made and in him was life <laughs> in him was life and that life was the light of men And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not yet understood him. God planned from the beginning 
our Savior. Our sin didn't catch God off guard because he knew it was there. But yet it was worth it for him in order that we can turn and have this relationship of love with him. But he knew that we couldn't do it. And so he came off of his throne and he came to earth in order to rescue us, to repair that broken relationship that we desired more than with him. That is what Jesus spoke of on the cross. On Psalm 139, God, as it says, He knows all things. He had it all laid out. In Isaiah 46.10, it knows the future. The same God that set the stars in the sky is the same God who knows me, who knew me before time and will know me a million years from now. He's fully God and He's fully man. And that, un- that understanding will, will, will really play a great part when we get into next week when we find out what Jesus means when he says it is finished. The plan from the very beginning. Isn't that amazing? And doesn't that bring you comfort? And doesn't that allow yourself to say, okay, I don't have to do this any longer. I can lay these things at the cross. If we turn back to Romans chapter 3, and I think it's important that we do, and I just want to touch on this just a little bit more here. Same chapter in Romans chapter 3, if I can find it myself. Beginning in verse number 21. The explanation of what took place on the cross that day begins now. Now, a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. The understanding here is that we don't have to do it because we can't do it. But the righteousness of God has come, and His name is Jesus Christ, and He is our Savior. There's no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all in this boat together. And we are all, but we are all justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. The understanding of atonement is, is that the sins, the penalty, the consequences for our sins that there's always a consequence for. He paid the price because I never could and neither can you. He did this to demonstrate his justice. I might say his character, his grace, his love. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished, and he did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just in the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. That's the grace of God. That's the ability for us to be able to look at our own sin and what the it truly mean, meant when he hung on that cross that day. There's a way. God has made the way back home to him. John chapter 14 is a powerful statement and one that we all need to know about. You've heard it before. So many times, this was the end of Jesus' earthly ministry now. It was before the cross, 
And he stood before these men who had loved him, who he had loved, a very imperfect men. But he told them this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me, because in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you might be where I am, so that I can restore the relationship of love that I desired from the very beginning. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And here it is. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Yet no one comes to the Father except by me. Wow. (laughs) The one who names the stars, who counts the hairs on my head, came to restore the relationship, but not just in the sin of mankind, but my sin and your sin. And so the greatest news ever about that it that Jesus was speaking about on the cross that day is that the same loving, grace-filled God who chose to clothe the rebellious sinners as they were leaving the garden also chose to come to earth to clothe a world full of sinners. But this this time, not with the physical covering of a temporary fix, but one that is eternal, a spiritual cloak that is his very own righteousness will pave the way for eternal life with him someday. And that, my friends, is grace. And I hope for you, as it most certainly is for me, the greatest news ever. I want to ask you a question today. The story is true and it says that they, those people in the garden, wanted something more than the one who lovingly knit them together. In their mother's womb, the mother's womb is what it says about us. The ones that he stood back and said, I love this creation and it is good. But they wanted more. How about you? Is there still things in life that you want more? than a relationship with God? I I think if you're still listening, you've hung in there through all this. And I want to tell you there's a reason, I believe. Um, And it's not because I'm a good speaker or I've got great news. In fact, um, 1 Corinthians 1 says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are in darkness. But I think you're here for a different reason. And still there might be two. One might be that you're simply in a place where it's, you, you can't get up and leave without being too obvious. But I think there's a far more important one. And that is that the Holy Spirit is speaking to your life. And, and, and the scripture in that Corinthians says that we are, we are the, the, the news of the cross is everything to us. I think the Spirit is speaking to all of us in this, if we're still in this together. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15 says these wonderful things. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did 
in the rebellion. Like all mankind, from the very beginning, we have rebellious hearts. Each and every one of us has had a season of rebellion. For some of us, the good news is that we understand fully what that it on that cross meant. It is the understanding of our sin, the realization that we have no power to save ourselves, but fully embracing the reality that Christ was the sacrifice for our sins. And it is the basis for every breath that we take. So how about you? Has the it been removed from your rebellious heart? If God has spoken to you today, hear his voice and don't turn away. We're going to continue this conversation next week. And the passage that we're going to be looking at is, is, the, is the, same, the, the same one, except we're going to be looking at the word finished. I'll leave you with a passage to contemplate in verse number 31 of chapter 4 of the Gospel of John. Jesus says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. When Jesus hung on that cross, the rebellion, the open hostility of mankind that we waged against God, our Creator, was nullified and it was erased from the books. And forevermore, those who huddle underneath the shadow of the cross live a life of freedom because we've been forgiven. God bless you guys live a life worthy of him.